Hello, everyone, and welcome to Perfect Timing Podcast. I am your host, Sydney Shannon Monet, and today I have the beautiful, the lovely Dr. Monique Koofson. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Oh my gosh, it's been a minute since we've been able to, you know, sit down and have a chat. And I'm so excited that you took the time to be on my show, especially during uh, Women's History Month. And I think supporting and talking about the story of Black women, especially, is truly important. But I'm going to go ahead and go into a little bit of your biography. It was a hefty one, so I had to pick out the most special parts. (laughs) So Dr. Monique Koopson is an award-winning author and social justice scholar with three decades of experience in areas of education, civil rights, juvenile, and criminal justice. She's the president and CEO of Grantmakers for Girls of Color, which is the nation's leading philanthropic intermediary, explicitly focused on resourcing movements and organizations held, led by, and in support of cis and trans girls and young femmes of color. Through this, they've developed Black Girls Freedom Fund, which we will get into in a minute. She also has cultivated so many organizations in the support of women that have been recently incarcerated through National Black Women's Justice Institute. And I'm so excited to get into that as well. But I want to go ahead and get into uh, the upbringing and your journey into Grantmakers for Girls of Color and the fund, Black Girl Freedom Fund. As you guys know that I've been such a um, grateful grantee of the organization, hopefully this year as well, um, and reapplying and such. But let's go ahead and get into your story with that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think people have have a limited understanding in general about what philanthropy is and has been largely because it feels like this thing that exists out in the ether or that exists out only among a specific group of people without recognizing the way that communities of color have always given, have mm-hmm. always worked together um, to support each, our capacity to grow and thrive. Grantmakers for Girls of Color, I would say, is an, is a, is a, is an iteration of that kind of work where um, as an intermediary, we do fundraise and receive funds to redistribute funds. And in our redistribution of those funds, we work very closely with the impacted population. And so we build relationships with girls, femmes, and uh, other youth of color in order to be able to um, fully respond to some of the conditions that are impacting their lives, but also to help us in the grand scheme of things better understand what these lived experiences mean for today. So the work that we're doing at G4GC is located in in four specific funds, the uh, Black Girl Freedom Fund being one of them. And uh, in that work, it was really an intentional uh, opportunity for us to create you know, a pool of funding to uh, invest in uh, Black girls. You know, we know what we get from Black girls and femmes and gender expansive youth without investment. And it's unacceptable that we have given so little to their development. Um, I'm very pleased to be on this side of things where we can start to mobilize within philanthropy to remedy that wrong, to really begin to invest robustly in the genius of black girls, femmes and gender expansive youth to really think about how we move money to support their well-being and to support their innovation, especially given what black girls have historically contributed to so much of our understanding about democracy, our understandings of equity and justice, and also just because black girls are sacred and loved and worthy of investment. So it is uh, a, a joy to be in conversation around why we're moving money the way that we're moving money, but also to create systems that allow black girls, femmes and gender expansive youth to be those decision makers about where the money goes. Most of the money that is distributed through the Black Girl Freedom Fund has been decided by black girls 
And so those young people are making decisions about where that money goes, right? Who's, who's, who's doing work that they find valuable, which right. is a unique position in philanthropy for so many young people to be a part of the decision-making class around the movement of, of, and distribution of resources, financial resources in particular. Right. And, you know, I find that very fascinating because there are other organizations out there that do want to support and uh, uplift girls of color. And, you know, but to hear that it is black women still making the decisions of who the money is given to, because sometimes we may not know the counterparts of people who own the other businesses, whether they're white, black or any other kind of ethnicity and what that means when they go into the decision making process through Mm -hmm. this. We are ensuring that they're the right people in those seats to help uplift uh, organizations like mine. And, you know, I love uh, Black Girl Freedom Fund and Great Grant Makers for Girls of Color and how you guys have been able to extend it into Black Girl Freedom Week, which I have been able to be a part of for the past two yeah. years now. Um, if you want to briefly talk about what Black Girl Freedom Week is. Yeah, Black Girl Freedom Week is an opportunity for us to just celebrate the brilliance um, of Black girls. We chose... Uh, the week that is um, overlapping the birthdays of Audre Lorde and Toni Morrison uh, mm-hmm. in February. And it's a, it's a week-long engagement around, uh, you know, what Black girls are experiencing, what Black girls, femmes and gender expansive youth are contributing to our well-being as a community. It is Black History Month. And, you know, we've, we have a very clear articulated uh, understanding and analysis of the power of black girls, femmes and gender expansive youth in our grand freedom struggle, in our grand freedom work. And so there's no way, you know, that we could let the month go by without thinking about some intentional way for us to bring girls, femmes and gender expansive youth into the conversation about black liberation. And so um, it is, uh, uh, you know, we've had the pleasure of working with you and we've had the pleasure (laughs) of working with other influencers and key decision makers to talk about black girls and femmes and gender expansive youth in the context of policy, in the context of of, uh, beauty, in the context of industry work, in the context of creativity. Um, And it will continue uh, for us to think about how we locate black girls, how we situate black girls, but how we also combat the erasure of black girls in conversations about justice and liberation. So um, it is not an opportunity for us. It's not a time for us to be like, woe is me. Oh, the, oh, oh these, these are the conditions that disproportionately negatively impact our girls. It's a time for us to say, look at what our young people are doing. Aren't they fantastic? Right. Absolutely. And you know, what a beautiful time to have you on my podcast and talking about Black History Month. You know, I think it's really special, especially for Black women in these two months of February and March, because we're celebrating who we are. (laughs) <laughs> and then we get to celebrate who we are again. That's the, right. <laughs> it becomes more exciting to, you know, celebrate ourselves, not only just these two months of the year, but throughout every month of the year. And so, again, I think Black Girl Freedom Fund and uh, Black Girl Freedom Week does an amazing job of highlighting those who don't really get the spotlight most of the time. And, you know, for someone like me who is a podcaster, entrepreneur, I'm still trying to learn and grow into becoming a businesswoman and how to uh, sell my brand and how to share with people the initiatives and the intention of a perfect timing podcast. Um, And you talk about, you know, liberation and justice and things of that sort. Um, So I want to know your track into helping reduce the pathway to confinement uh, and recently incarcerated women obtaining employment um, through your National Mm -hmm. Black Women's Justice Institution. So what is your Mm -hmm. story into that? And why do you think, you know, that having your part in criminal justice is important? Yeah, before coming into the field of formal philanthropy, 
Um, I was the founding uh, president and CEO of the National Black Women's Justice Institute. And prior to that had done uh, a body of work, research mostly, but advocacy and research to examine the conditions that disproportionately criminalize and impact negatively black girls and, and women. And, you know, I, you know, part of that was really just because so many people were talking about the reach of the criminal legal system and the juvenile court systems. There was a lot of discussion about how black communities were being disproportionately targeted and impacted by the growing criminal uh, industry or criminal justice industry, um, and particularly prisons and uh, group homes and other carceral facilities. Um, but there hadn't really been a strong analysis about what was happening with girls, what was happening with women. There were absolutely scholars who were elevating um, disproportionate impact on Black women, for sure, in, in like scholarly spaces and at institutions mm -hmm. and universities. But there right. really wasn't a robust strategy out in community to say this is unacceptable. And as we're talking about the reach of the criminal legal system into Black communities, um, hello, let's not forget that Black women are also impacted. And if you look at just what is happening just among women, the racial disparities are greater among women and girls than they are even among the men. And so it is important for us to have a complete analysis around what is happening so that we can de design remedies and we can design interventions that attack and, and address the issue. So the National Black Women's Justice Institute and my body of research and advocacy in that space was really about bringing us into a more uh, realistic discussion about the reach of the criminal legal system, but also to bring us into a space around how we build out remedy to respond to these conditions. I don't do research. I never have done research that is designed to sit on a shelf. I don't really write for the academy. I write for people. I write for policymakers. I write to try to advance not just an understanding of a condition, but how we remedy that condition. And so, you know, a lot of the work that I was doing um, led me to write for different folks and to concentrate on different elements of this work. Um, you know, starting in, in with the publication of Push Out, the criminalization of Black girls in schools, mm -hmm. I started to move into a real, um, very focused conversation around how girls are experiencing the reach of the criminal legal system. And people were talking about the school to prison pipeline, but even in our framework around the school to prison pipeline, quote unquote, we were missing that there were several elements that weren't as direct or linear as a pipeline. We were right. missing all of the relationships yeah. and conditions that, and the ways that we think about black girls that inform Absolutely. how we are working and moving in those spaces. So it was a large body of work that moved from a general concern about the growing reach of the criminal legal system into our communities into a very specific conversation about a particular population, in this case, black girls and other girls of color who were being uh, erased in many ways from, from that conversation. And in my world, erasure is a form of violence. And so I was not going to participate in that. Absolutely. And again, that is that really just ties into how we need to start dwelling and diving into why some black girls are ending up you know going into prison or going into jail right out of school and again it's when we dissect those pipelines or you know the if it's a big tree we need to dissect those branches into what exactly. happened what brought them there is it their family history is that their environment because i feel like there's a lot of times where um 
I'm in a room and I, it's, it, maybe it's at a convention or something like that. And, you know, there's a wonderful, beautiful black woman who is speaking before us and telling us her story. And if she shares how she was incarcerated or she sh shares how she was in jail, you would have never guessed it because based on her story, she belonged in the percentile of people that weren't supposed to make it, but she did. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's that mm -hmm. revelation and why I think it's important for uh, underserved girls to be in those rooms. So they're like, because of her story, I know what to do. So I don't have, I can learn from her mistakes. You know what I'm saying? And so again, the work mm -hmm. that you're doing to try and navigate girls into understanding why this is not the correct route that they should go into or why you think that um, preparing them for a life that doesn't end them up behind, you know, bars or something like that, I really think goes into, you know, why we think it's important. Um, but I also want to talk about, you know, since I, I'm just like, enamored by the way you've been able to advocate for these girls of color. Um, do you have any advice for young activists like myself who want to speak out or want to have a voice? You know, I'm an advocate for, you know, gun violence and mental health. And I have a friend, she's probably listening. Her name is Brianna. And she constantly posts about stuff that is happening in the world. And someone like me who suffers with, you know, anxiety, like sometimes I just have to turn it off. It's not like discarding it and acting like it's not happening, but sometimes like it, it freaks me out and it sure. makes me want to not talk about it. So do you have any advice for any um, young activists like myself or anyone else who wants to have a voice? Yeah, I started speaking up and being actively engaged in, you know, articulations about my community at a very young age and. Um, you know, and I think what that does, especially for Black girls um, who are often holding a lived experience, so we're living it and we're critiquing it and we're educating other people about it <laughs> often at the same time, right. which can really be a heavy burden to carry. So my advice to young people who are participating in this is to really think about what is yours to carry and what is not yours to carry. So a lot of Black girls learn very early on that they should carry the weight of the world, right? They're going to save democracy. They're going to save the people. Right. And it's like, you don't have to do that also. Right. <laughs> you know, like you can articulate what you need to articulate and then you make sure you have a wellness practice to take care of yourself. If it means that you have to detach or a little bit or you have to take a social media break, take a social media break. If it means that you need to pause and do a, a round of breath work to make sure that you are self-regulating, do that. If you need to go dance it out or you need to go listen to it out and just kind of check out and be alone for a moment and you know release yourself from all of the things around you and the stimulations and stimuli around you, then, then go ahead and do that. If you need to go for a run, go for a run, right? But design a practice that allows for you to release because otherwise you're gonna hold it inside and that's not healthy. The other thing that I would say is really important is for, you know, young people from a very early age to recognize the value of rest. The other thing is, you know, like the, the conversations that we have about activism in this country or the way that we understand being active in social spaces on these very, very big issues is that we ride hard, we go hard, we give our whole selves to this work. And I'm saying, you know, create some space for you to sleep, drink water, right? Mm -hmm. Make sure that you right. are are taking care of your body and your mind at the same time that you are able to hold this because a, a healthy you is gonna be that much more effective and a healthy you is part of the resistance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like this, this system will have you dead, right. honestly. It will You're run right. you to the ground <laughs> and you don't need that. That's not it, that's not it. That's not the model that we're supporting. That's not the model that I have seen to be effective. 
And it's something that I actively want to disrupt. So I really appreciate that question because it's an important question. You, you have to actively disrupt the narratives about your grind into the ground in order to be an effective activist. That's not it. Part of the resistance and activism, I hope people hear me, right, is to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. I, I, I honestly could not agree more. And, you know, I've been carrying the weight of the world since I was five, honestly. Girl, me too. Oh, okay, <laughs> right? Like, it's okay. I got this. Or don't worry about it. I can do this. You know, like mm -hmm. in group projects and being in those types of situations That's where right. I'm like, oh, I have, me personally, I have a pretty high stature at school. People at school to call me the next president of the United States. Um, well, I don't really want to be that right now in my lifetime. It's still kind of like, well, if they, if they see me up here that I need to match it somehow mm. by what the work that I'm doing. And, you know, um, if you hadn't known this before, I had to take a two and a half month hiatus for my podcast, because mm -hmm. like you said, if I cannot be healthy inside myself, how can I speak joy or how can I uplift mm -hmm. the work that mm -hmm. other people are doing? Mm -hmm. It was just kind of like, hmm. Also, yeah. hold on to your vision of you, right? My daughter went through the same thing. She was voted next president of the United States, and she was so upset about that. And I was like, why are you so upset? They just recognize your leadership. And that's the model that folks see is president of the United States means leader, right? So right. It's, an, it's a nod to your leadership, even though you are like, that's not my vision for myself, right? right. <laughs> so I think it's also important to recognize you, and I, I think it's a good point, right? Hold on to your vision of yourself and acknowledge the things that you're, you know, that others are seeing in you, but mm -hmm. definitely take care of yourself when you think about your own well-being and how you want to apply that leadership. Mm -hmm. And that is a very good perspective to think about just being like, just because people see me in this area and they think that I, that's something that I'm capable of, that just proves that, you know, that they respect my leadership and the stuff that I do. And, you know, it makes me spiral because, you know, I love to psychoanalyze um, and just think like, well, if they see me here, what haven't I done? And then I'm like, I feel like I've let people down. And you know, that's a story for another day, but it's just kind of like, thank you. I, I really do want to thank you for that piece of advice and, you know, showing me how I can, you know, be a great activist while also finding my own vision. I'll thank people for their the accolades that they place on me, but to keep my track at the same path. This is Sydney Cherlone, and I'm so excited to share with you my international podcast, Perfect Timing, that will be broadcasting on Mondays at 2 p.m. through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and so much more. We will have outstanding guests that will talk about their passions, goals, and dreams. Make sure you tune in and have a seat at the table where we will create a voice for us every Monday at 2 p.m. This is Sydney Collins of Perfect Timing. Have you put in place the tools and marketing strategies that will drive the revenue and growth outcomes for your business? 
Are you looking to expand your brand and image nationally and globally? Commercials, podcasting, graphics, and marketing support are just some of the ways we can dress up your business for prime time. We are EliteConversations.com. To learn more about us, check us out at EliteConversations.com, our website, email us at ecpodcastmedia at gmail.com, or call us at 301-900-5703. There are many people that need to know about the wonderful products and services you have to offer. Let Elite Conversations help you to get the word out. tight schedule. <laughs> I want to talk about um, your most recent publication of Cultivating Joyful Learning Spaces for Black Girls, Insights into Interrupting Social Pushout, which is a book that you've just published that discusses the building of learning environments that upholds Black girls' excellence in academic achievement. So what is the story behind that? Yeah, it's an extension of the body of work that has been talking about push out and how we end it. <laughs> um, you know, the, the two books that came before that push out, which framed the issue, Singer Rhythm, Dance of Blues, which talked a little bit about how schools are entering the conversation and how communities are responding to girls who have experienced school push out. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I have the documentary film that's streaming now. Uh, on Prime and other platforms that allow people to visually engage around this issue. And Cultivating Joyful Learning Spaces for Black Girls is a conversation with educators. So it was written and published, it was published by an education um, materials publisher. It is written for educators to consider some very specific things around their own practice. And then the final book in the series at this, at least at this point, is a graphic novel that will be published in May called Charisma's Turn that is a conversation with young people about you know, how we can, can instill in them uh, some understanding that what we need to be prioritizing in schools, what young people need is, an, is a, a focus on their purpose, not punishment, right? Mm -hmm. And to really think about what it means to, for girls to stand in their gifts and how schools can support girls when they stand in their gifts. So, um, that's what these projects have, are ultimately about. They're about inspiring conversation. They're about inspiring new actions. I want to see different outcomes. I want new data. <laughs> I want to right. really begin to see, you know, that we are understanding, not just intellectually, that this is something that requires our intervention, but that it actually informs our actions around that. Mm -hmm. So I actually read into Charisma's Turn. And let me tell you, the cover is adorable. I love it. I love a good graphic <laughs> novel. So I think I read it's coming out in May. It is May 2nd. Publicizing that, absolutely. <laughs> but again, I think that conversation is really important into letting girls know that it is okay to stand in their gifts and how to use it. And you know, why they not let people run them over for it, but to, they can profit off of it. They can make other people feel better about it. And you know, just like using it for good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, right. But I want to thank you so, so much, Dr. Coopson, for joining me during uh, Women's History Month. So thank you so much for taking the thank time. Thank you. Me. Before I let you go, how can you share with my listeners how they can reach and follow you? 
Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Mon- Dr. Monique Kufsen and, um, you know, can be reached through Grantmakers for Girls of Color. But if you really want to see what I'm about and what I'm doing, you can follow me on, on Instagram, Dr. Um, Monique Kufsen. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so, so much for working right. me again. And thank you to my listeners for listening. And this is Perfect Timing. Hey, Jay, stay warm. Stay warm.